0: Podcast ain't played nobody. I'm convinced that Bill is sabotaging his own podcast by the scheduling of these 128 team previews because we have meetings before the show. Uh, greetings from Los Angeles, by the way. It's a bi-coastal affair. I'm about to go talk to Pac-12 coaches about football. That hasn't happened yet. But what has happened is that I wake up early on Pacific time to appease, to, to appease Bill, really. Okay? And then you tell me that...
1: Tell me the list of schools that you just woke me up with. Uh, so far for the Big Ten, I have previewed Purdue, Rutgers, Maryland, and Illinois.
0: No. We're
1: not going to do that. No. S- sleeping I'm Giants. Tired of, I'm tired of this. <clears throat> sleeping Giants. All, all of right. them. All of them are Sleeping Giants. Every program uh, in the country is a Sleeping Giant, is what my survey the other day uh, uncovered to me. Okay. Um, Hi, right, Bill. Um, yeah.
0: Mm, let's let's move away from the conce- conceit of the program and all the the fun jokey stuff we do on various podcasts on this on this internet network. Um, Maryland is supposed to be something good in a few years. That's what people keep telling me. Um, I read I read your preview and it, not not the writing of your preview. You're immaculate. You're great, bad Sure, sure, yeah. Uh-huh. But the. All of the the way, the way we look at Maryland right now is kind of what you're nothing surprising, right? Hot young assistant, recruiting minded, wants to reinvigorate a territory, da 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 da. And I think, well, this is the kind of stuff you do when you're when you're having to kind of break down a, a roster that was decent for scrap, figure out how you're going to start. And then I scroll down and I see that they can start four and O. So if they start four and O, and you have a guy like Durkin, who I think is sort of like a quiet, you know, uh, or, or, or maybe not, maybe not quiet, but a, a promising yet to be known version of a a Harbaugh or a Franklin, like a, a strong media ops guy. They're going to get a lot more attention than I realized.
1: Yeah, ho- Howard at FIU, at UCF, Purdue. Um... You know, you do the odds thing. They're, you know, they are only like you know seventy something percent chance of uh, winning those, a couple of those games, and so you know, it, it's certainly possible that they're not four zero, but I would say the most likely. I mean, they're, they're more. They have a very good chance of going four and zero, and then, and I mean, you know, that that'll only get you so far. You got to figure out two more wins at that point, and really, unless you like, unless you beat Minnesota and Rutgers, if you lose either one of those games, you might not get to six and six. Well, but, what, the other thing about the four and zero
0: that I find interesting, I always like to start with schedules. It's just an easy way to frame things out. Um, the fifth game is Penn State at Penn State. Yeah, they're going to throw. I mean, that's like, that becomes if you're four and zero, which they should be. That's a kitchen sink game. And if you win that,
1: Durkin's gold. A 5-0 and o Maryland? He, and they could finish 5-7. and seven. It doesn't yeah. matter. And as we've talked about before, the way Penn State's schedule starts, they could be super tense, super uptight yeah. in that game.
0: Um, well, no, Penn State will have already played. I mean, you talk about defining the territories, and I think we talked about this two or three shows ago. Yeah. They've got Pitt. They've got Temple. Then they'll have Maryland. The yeah. funny thing about all those schools is Penn State doesn't consider any of those schools rivals. They consider them th- those schools' inevitabilities to be conquered in, in the in the Roman Empire of blue and white. So they sure as hell better win all those games. Their backs are against the wall. Maryland comes in, assuming they're 4-0, nice and loose and crazy, and maybe we see something fun. Now tell me, what am I going to see that's actually fun? I feel like the average Q rating on this school is pretty abysmal based off of the previous uh, – the, the quality of the product put out by the previous administration makes it hard to look at this and get excited.
1: Well, and the thing about it is, like, it really, the, the quality overall really wasn't that bad. Um, it wasn't good. <laughs> so it was really kind of – it was undefined. It, it was neither great nor terrible. They, therefore, it was just kind of, like, boring to talk about. But they basically, after having just a, a, a miserable go that, that first year that, that Edsel was in charge at Maryland – uh, where like you know everybody where they had you know thirty two scholarship players or whatever it was uh, they bombed out that year they were pretty competitive in twenty thirteen especially considering the fact that they lost like every quarterback um, they were. Solid in 2014, made a bowl, I believe. And then in 2015, they were basically the mo- the the least the most unlucky team in the country when it comes to throwing incredibly catchable, uh, only the nicest, softest interceptions for, for Maryland last year. Uh, but they, they threw kind of an unsustainably high level of interceptions that, so, to where it got a little bit on the unlucky side. You know, lost to Penn State 31-30, lost to Wisconsin 31-24. Um, they were never good. They were ne- like really, really good. They were never threatening to maybe if we can just win this game, we'll break through. Kind of, it never reached that territory. Um, but he did not leave an empty cupboard. He he left a pretty fast roster. Um, lots of good running backs. It appears. And so, you know, it, I'm, I'm curious here. I, 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 I think the run defense will be good. I think the run offense will be good. So, yeah, as long as, as, long as uh, they don't have to pass and as long as their opponents never pass, they should be fine.
0: Okay, so everybody's a sleeping giant, Bill, but but this school has been a sleeping giant for as long as I've followed college football. I remember being in college and people talking about, oh, but, you know, Maryland should be better than they are. I mean, you just this is the right combination of factors. And I've heard a variation of that statement my entire life, including – From coaches, people in the coaching community continue to put stock in a program that's never really paid out in the modern era. There's just
1: something about folks are damn convinced that the Terps should be better than they are. Well, and my definition of sleeping giant, like I, 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 we had some semantics arguments on Sunday when I, because Sunday morning I basically posted, I just, out of pure curiosity, I just asked simply, what is the biggest sleeping giant in college football? I got a lot of North Carolinas and Maryland's, I got a lot yep. of like Texases and Miamis because some people interpret that as <laughs> it's a little different. Well, yeah, as teams who have been giants and are a just giant.
0: That, that, that's not a sleeping giant. That's a giant who is asleep.
1: Right. And, and, and so it's, it's all semantics here. But my definition of Sleeping Giants is basically uh, the, who, who is a what is a program that if they just get their act together, could join the ruling class? Um, the, you know, the last program to do it was probably Oregon. And of course, they're they're still getting the junior member treatment uh, from the ruling class. But they're but they they kind of they broke in before that. What LSU probably, although LSU was a member for a long time and then kind of stunk for most of two to three decades and then returned. Um, the Florida schools before that, and that's basically over the last thirty years. That's in terms of "quote unquote" giants. That's pretty much it. That's who's joined the club. Uh, and so the, my idea of the sleeping giant would be, yeah, uh, who's next to join the club? And um, our own Bud Elliott, of course, came up with the, the the most likely answer to be correct from year to year, and that's nobody. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but that's no fun. That's not a fun answer. Um, it, it, if we if we go back to our podcast and play
0: nobody glossary and that college football hates usurpers, I feel like the recruiting community especially, yeah. and, and really just bud, just, I think the concept of upstarts bothers people to, in a way that it's just, there's something inconsistent about it. I don't know. It's, it's very it's very weird because I don't believe that. I mean, there are so many cycles. There are large cycles in college football, and there are little cycles, and then there's regional cycles, and all yeah. these things factor in. Um so I have a, a one assistant head coach that I've had as a source for pretty much as long as I've been with SB Nation, and in, and the reason I go back to him is that he's not necessarily the most plugged in guy, but he's one of the most honest guys, <laughs> and that's people always ask, well, you know, anonymous sources, you know, why can't you, you know, why obviously there's certain information an anonymous source gives that would that would out them, but also when you let a coach talk and not have to represent his school for a second or whoever's paying his bills or whatever logo's on his windbreaker at the moment, you get this viewpoint that no one else seems to talk about, no one else seems yeah. to see. And I asked him, I was like what's, like, what's your ideal job Like, if you were to be a head coach somewhere right now? And he said at the time, any school in the Mid-Atlantic uh, and then I think he specifically said, because when it, when it, this was two or three years ago, North Carolina. And I think it was before the extent of that last NCAA probe with Fedora. And, so, and, he's, and the assistant coach is not from this area, so I asked him why. And so he starts talking about North Carolina and Virginia and Maryland. Now, he doesn't include Tech in this because tech feeling is so much higher based off of what happened with Beamer and Vic in right, the late right, 90s. Yeah. But he says, look, you go to one of these jobs, the recruiting is okay, it's decent. So if you go to, like, South Carolina, you're in the, you're in the SEC, and you have to fight with, in Atlanta, and you have to fight with Clemson. And he goes, but if you go up into the Mid-Atlantic, it's, it is 100% basketball country, but there are good, there, there's some good talent there. And this was also before Franklin had gone to Penn State, and, and Penn State was always negligent in the way they recruited, like, Maryland and D.C. and Virginia. And so you didn't have any Goliaths kind of coming in and picking you off. I mean, if there was a five-star, yeah, big national schools would come in. But by and large, you could build a three or four-star, you know, roster, and you could live a happy life. You could win seven if you if you floated between five and eight wins, and then jumped out every once what five years with with a nine or ten win season. You're not God because the basketball coach is probably God, but everybody's okay with you, and you live in this really nice, quaint college town like Chapel Hill or Charlottesville or College Park in Maryland, and everything is sort of, for a college football head coach, stress-free. Like, it's it's the most laid-back, kind of easy-living, suburban life you could get as a Power 5 head coach. Now, what's changed since we've had this conversation is that I think – based on some of the hires that you see now and based on the kind of manifest destiny of recruiting, the expectations are probably a little higher. They're obviously higher for Maryland. But I think part of that with Maryland specifically has to do with Kevin Plank and the amount of money right, that, right. that's coming in. Is there anything right now to you at all, mathematically, anything in your research that shows there's a Oregon-style Sea change about to happen. And the only reason we bring up Oregon is because of shoe money. But, it, but it's important because Oregon was one thing before shoe money and they were another thing. Right. And Under Armour is making an insane amount of money right now that's going back to Maryland.
1: Well, I think what's excited Maryland fans about Durkin is that they, you can actually kind of see the path ahead. Now, there's there are a million obstacles, and, and at any given moment, you're probably going to fail at some point on this path. But you can see the path, and, and it is that, you know, Durkin recruits well right now. He goes out and, you know, whatever, beats Penn State this year, gets a little positive buzz, signs a good recruiting class. Uh, those recruits turn into something. And and before you know it, they've got a top 20, 30 level program. Now in the Big Ten East, that probably means that, you know, they're in the wrong division. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, as we've discussed before, division shouldn't exist at all at this point. But um, they're in the wrong division for that. They're not going to be able to – maybe if – uh, Urban Meyer starting a bunch of freshmen and Jim Harbaugh's, you know, whatever offense is, is, is off for whatever reason. And D'Antonio's defense, blah, 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 blah. It's going to take a lot of circumstances for them to win the East, even if they've got their act together. But I mean, never mind that kind of end goal from a win perspective, it's, it's not hard to see how you now just build and build and build and you recruit, you recruit, you win some games, you recruit better, you win some more games, you recruit better, et cetera. Um, and I think that's, you know, with Edsel, that was never clear. Like you, you, you knew he's a solid recruiter, but um, first of all, he didn't. He, he this is this sometimes dings a head coaches. Like he walked in the door with an okay record. He did get you know Connecticut to the Fiesta Bowl that one year, thanks to that like four way tie in the Big East or whatever. Um, That's one. But, that, that is a whopper of an asterisk
0: that fades yeah. every year, and he and Randy Edsel gets to be a Fiesta Bowl coach.
1: Yep, and. Um, and but I, I mean I think you know between the fact that they were talking about guys like Mike, Mike Leach guys that are more fan friendly uh, and then they went and hired Edsel instead I think that was kind of underwhelming from the start and then they went out and had a miserable season so I, I don't think Edsel ever got that that benefit of the doubt glimpse of you know the the first year coach kind of buzzed. the. Uh, the benefit of the doubt and and so Durkin's getting that now and and we now we just have to see how far he can go and how when he when he encounters obstacles like you know losing to FIU and then losing by 28 to Penn State or whatever if that were to happen then we we have to then see how he uh, responds I love the I I love the moves he's made so far never mind the recruiting you know I, I never I never really pay attention to recruiting until January because they're just you know Yeah, congratulations for getting commits now. The FAU got Jordan Scarlett, that four-star back from Florida, to commit for a long time. That didn't mean he signed. Um, And and so there's still a lot of work to do. But just like the way he put together his staff, he has some aggressive young recruiters, and he got Pete Limbo. He got Mike London. It's a really interesting balance of – you know, guys who have been head coaches before, which is the Fuente move. We talked about that before. Fuente hiring Dickey, uh, he wanted to make sure he had at least one guy on his staff with head coaching experience, so that he could kind of bounce ideas off of him as a first timer. Um, Durkin did that. Durkin's got the recruiting angle. He's been on. He's been the head of really, really good defenses at Florida and, and Michigan, which I mean, have a level of recruits that obviously Maryland's not going to have right out of the gates. But, I, you know, he's just he's he's checking all the boxes so far and, and it's always inter- going to be interesting to see how long he can keep that up. So but I mean, in terms of sleeping giants, the, the one thing that I think, uh, you know, some people kind of snidely brought it up in the conversation. But for the most part, if you are still sleeping in 2016, after 100 years of, co- of playing college football, 100 plus years of playing college football, there's probably a reason you're sleeping. Uh, that doesn't mean it can't turn around. Kansas State obviously turned around. Oregon obviously turned around. Like, it, it's certainly possible. But there's probably then something in terms of whatever it is, fan support, administrative support, um, just, you know, the, the the politics of the area. You know, that's it's impossible to talk about Illinois uh, and, and not use the word politics in, in any context, sports or otherwise, I guess um but there are just so many obstacles in your way and that's probably the reason you haven't emerged as a national power yet that means the odds are against you but you know I definitely see what they see in Durkin right now
0: um of that Maryland staff I think one of the reasons we're so excited is Walt Bell and I was gonna I was gonna stump for Walt Bell for a second and then I realized um as I was looking I'm older than Walt Bell so that's a little terrifying um He's the offensive coordinator that comes out of uh, Arkansas State. He's a fedora guy. He is going to run something that, gosh, I don't know if if effective. Suddenly matches the sexy appeal of ha- of being you know the shoe company shoe company university. Um, and I think he could be a young head coach if he's successful here within the next two to three seasons. So, and I'm older than him, so I'm just going to go <laughs> lay down for a minute, Bill.
1: That's right. How, how much money is he making? How much money are you making? That's always a fun uh.
0: Thanks, fun Bill. Game. Jesus.
1: Yep. All right. Uh,
0: this, that's it for the podcast. Ain't played nobody. I'm going to go lay in a hotel bed and weep gently. Um, all right. Well, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been Maryland heavy. We'll go ahead and try and pivot out of that. Um, but why? Could you put a bow on everything that's left, uh, the charred husk, the ass end of, of the Big Ten that you've already previewed? I know. I think we actually have. Uh, man, I should have brought the air horn with me. Um, we do have real Purdue questions, but of of the assemblage of, of... Do I want to ask about Lovie Smith? Do we want to do that again? Or so do, I defended...
1: We've talked about it a little bit, yeah. And, and I'll, uh, you know, right now I, I will say that I think I kind of like the Maryland Rutgers and Illinois hires. Um, Illinois, I, you know... I feel uneasy about the NFL side of things. Like the more I was reading about his defensive philosophy um, for this preview and him talking about you know, he likes the 4-3 because everybody has pretty clearly defined roles um, and, and you can kind of simplify your game plan with that. Well, first of all, it's kind of – I mean, if you can recruit really well, you can get the, you can get to that stage. But it, that's kind of hard to – you have to have guys who can play the different roles you need and, and that's not necessarily a given uh at Illinois, but then like then I was going through my head about all the the problems Monty Kiffin had with his t- Tampa two uh, at first at USC and like the couple years of adjustments he had. So he's gonna and you know he's got Nickerson as a, a first year defensive coordinator. He's got a lot of questions to ask, but I still I can I understand the hire and that's really all. Um, you know, I think, as I believe I've said when we talked about this before, I think he's a high floor guy, and he'll 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 be organized, he'll be respectful, he'll be um, he'll he'll his I I think under Lovey Smith after this first year or two at least his failure will be like five and seven, not like five and seven with a bunch of player abuse issues. So I think even if he doesn't really work out at any certain high level uh, at Illinois. Um, I think he'll he'll stabilize the program and, and maybe set the table for the next guy. Sometimes you need a table setter. But um, no, I, I like the Durkin hire and really I like Chris Ash. I like the moves Chris Ash made at Rutgers too. I think that the Big Ten East, um, as dumb as divisions are, that the Big Ten East just kind of got tougher this year because um, I like the moves the Penn St- that Franklin made at Penn State, showing up as assistant coaching staff, and then I like the hires that Maryland and, and Rutgers made. All right, that's positive. Still the ass end. Don't you oh, lie to me. Duh. duh. Still the ass I watched, end. I watched, I, watched, I watched these teams last year, and you notice I didn't say a single positive word about Purdue because, holy crap, that was so hard. I usually try to at least, like, if I'm if I'm writing a really negative preview with our annual funny headline, which this year was Purdue will feel the team, was basically the headline, um, I, I at least try to say, like, here's the goal, or here's what you have to hope for if you're wanting to, you know, catch lightning in the bottle. Man, it's hard. They've got – Two-star two recruits and recycled coaches, and ugh, like it's, gonna, it's bad. It's really bad. There's a small affair going on right now. I think it's in
0: day 16. It's much like the Waco hostage standoff um, in Hoover, Alabama. Uh, I have not really paid attention because I was wrapping some things up before I left town and I started traveling. Um, I cover college football for a living. I've dipped in periodically. Uh, Jason Kirk from SB Nation is there. I think we said on the podcast last week that no one was going, which is which was a factual error. But um, I have learned nothing about the Southeastern Conference from their media day's event, which is of course not no surprise. Um, I, before we get into Dan Mullen, and Mississippi State, and we're recording this, um, Saban I think is is going on at the moment or has gone on just now, and then I guess really in terms of headlines, the only thing left is Hugh Freeze. Um,
1: yeah. I, the reason and, I and, hate, and whatever Bielema says.
0: Yes. The reason I hate this event so much is Derek Mason gets up there on the podium. I didn't see a stitch of it. I was traveling. Um, I only see the reaction from my colleagues on Twitter. And suddenly you see this hive mind groupthink thing evolve where people start being a little bit friendlier about Vanderbilt's fortunes because apparently Mason had a very energetic speech. What the hell does that have to do with football? How in the world does that change anything to do with that depth chart or any of the absolutely titanic questions that Vanderbilt has on offense? I think they're going to have a great season on defense. I think they're yeah. probably going to win a game or two they're not supposed to. But they're still very much, like all of us, a product of their circumstances. It's I just don't understand how – it was funny to see people get interested for a hot second on Vanderbilt when I guess their coach said something that was remotely enigmatic. It's just – Oh, I hate it so much. I hate the concept of that ballroom. I, it, it's, it's so lazy. There's, there's maybe 15, 16 people in there that are trying to work their ass off and ask hard questions, and it's just drowned out in a sea of mediocre, lazy cliché. Um, yeah.
1: And so and speaking,
0: of, speaking of the cliché part, uh, damn, Dan Mullen. Wow. <laughs> so normally, if you have a big issue that you know you're going to go into a media event to address, you do a little prep, right? I did a radio show in Mississippi last week, between, after our last podcast, and I said I think for sure that both Hugh Freeze and Dan Mullen are running um, like mock trials, mock, right. mock interviews this weekend before I mean, Hoover.
1: Only, only Freeze was. I guess Hugh
0: Freeze might have. But damn, Mississippi State don't. I guess they they ain't care, man, at all.
1: It was it was like he made a big deal about how he was surfing. You know, he, you know we saw the pictures of him surfing the day before, uh, which first of all, congrats on that. And then he walks in bragging about his shoes, which again, they're they're cool shoes, better than your colleagues. That's awesome. Uh, but it, 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 then, it, like, he seemed to think that that was all he was going to have to talk about. Like he was going to be able to walk in and talk about his shoes and surfing and, and having a fun off offseason um, and maybe and maybe having to run the ball a little more this year with a new quarterback. And he thought that was going to be it and not that giant headline, negative headline that he had to deal with like a month ago or two months, whenever that was. I, it was mind blowing. Like I don't even like it, it wasn't even like the answers he gave because they were clearly improvised and, and I'm never going to head coaches are never going to be the best at improvising about real life things. Uh, it was the fact that he was improvising. He it was like he had nothing prepared to say about um about the, the the one game suspension and whatnot. It was
0: crazy. Um there's no rhyme or reason with who asked the questions on SEC Media Day. Um our friend Matt Scalisi at dot com is trying to explain that to readers right now because people will inevitably complain that Saving gets treated with kid gloves or this, you know, their coach got hit hard or whatever. It's a zoo, it's a free for all, you know, terrible like cringe-inducing softball questions get thrown, and then sometimes the hard questions don't get asked at all. It's 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 that's why it's such a train wreck of an event. Um, the thing about Muller. So let's let's pull apart the 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 actual the actual issue here, and let's put that in a, let's put that in a jar off to the side. And it's awful. Okay. Uh, I don't want to comment on that. I think we already we I think we said our thing. Um, I want to talk about how this works. I want to try and explain to people how the PR side works and why this is so interesting to me. And I'm probably going to write about this this week. Um, Mississippi State walked into a major event where the SEC is all over ESPN because of their partnership bill. They're on like four four of their networks are carrying SEC stuff all day long. It's the middle of July. There's nothing going on. Mississippi State took a day of national media and just got it. They walked into a boxing match and never raised their fists. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> And so that's why it's so interesting to me. Uh, this is not the first time it's happened either. When the suspension came down for Simmons that it would only be one game, um, Scott Strickland, their athletic director, was at the SEC meetings in Destin. No big deal except for, again, the SEC pushes and promotes and, and, and builds up their own PR to the fact that I think there's, there's probably 30 reporters at SEC uh, meetings in Destin earlier this summer. And he walked right into another fire. That's where Andy Staples got him in the mouth and said, uh, metaphorically, yeah. um, "You know, this is the same. You, you've you've issued a you've issued a penalty for a player being on video beating a woman that is the exact same as targeting." Yeah. And Strickland had no response for it. He yeah. His response was, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> I mean, he wasn't prepped for it. It was a train wreck. And then basically the same thing happens when Kyle Tucker of the. Uh, I guess late of the Courier Journal and now he works for, uh, sec country, which is actually, this is kind of confusing. I think sec country is owned by the Atlanta journal constitution, yes. Cox yes. media. Yeah. Um, it, it just absolutely whoops him. Asked him. I, 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 I guess we should, should we read what he said because not everyone's listening, right? Um, oh, that not, not everyone it, listening it. has read it, but basically said, what would you do if you were in this situation? Um, and this was your wife or daughter, And Mullin's response was, "Oh, I don't think they would be in that situation." Right. Oh. oh.
1: I mean, that's I in these in these situations, they're so hard to like. You're going to want to defend your player, and that's fine. But there's you can defend your player in certain ways you can bring up that nothing like this had ever happened and you know second chances and one incident doesn't define and you know Saban already today regarding cam robinson has said something like are your children perfect or something that's that's all none of that's satisfying but it's you know he's gonna say something and and it's not gonna be yeah we're pretty sleazy as coaches aren't we or anything like that that we would actually want to hear so fine i mean that's you're going to there, – there are just – there are, are, are good-ass covering answers and terrible-ass covering answers, or, or not even good, but just, like, acceptable. I'm not and in the business
0: of, of, of complaining about coach speak anymore. When we're, I think young reporters complain about coach speak, and they don't understand how they're a cog that fits in a big wheel. Right. If anything, I've become impressed over the years at certain coaches' coach speak. I'm I'm impressed when they pull it off, when they definitely maneuver around a difficult question, give a satisfactory public facing answer, and right. then kind of move on. It's funny. Miles is really good at that, and everyone calls Miles an idiot, and they laugh about his his eccentricity. He's very good at this. Yeah. Um, I I think why I'm so fixated on on Mullen is that. Mullen and and obviously the Mississippi State's uh, athletic department just thought this wasn't going to be an issue. And so that in itself is almost more tone-deaf than the the lack of a punishment yeah, that no, they gave Simmons.
1: It, yeah, no, that's I mean again, like I, I none of us liked the punishment they gave Simmons, but go out and, and basically say here's why we did it, the end. And instead, you had Strickland saying, "Yeah, I guess it is the same as targeting," and then admitting that it crosses your that it crossed their mind that if he if if you punish him too harshly, he might go to Ole Miss or something. Like, uh, those are the two things you can't say, and you said them both.
0: A long time ago, I want to say eight years ago. Bill never told the story before, but I I worked for uh, when I was doing the wrestling stuff. Right, and we've talked about and joked about on the show. One of the things I did was PR for the company. We had a top-level talent that was named in an investigation with human growth hormone and one of those one of those Roundup Balco type things. Right. This is all out there, so I'm not really telling anything out of, out of class. But we knew that he the 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 talent was going to. We we eventually wanted him to talk to Sports Illustrated, who was working on a big piece. We spent days and days and days going over questions and going over answers and going over how to minimize damage and maximize messaging i've done this before is my point and i've seen i've seen how you take a bad situation and how you talk it out and how you walk it forward and then i've also seen it as a reporter a thousand times i mean what kills me is like bill you know I, i go and talk to bobby petrino and i'm one of the first reporters to talk to him since he's hired at western kentucky since his whole life blows up right and he spends a year in purgatory all this stuff there were so many things I had to agree to, and so many things that we had to just to get in the room to sit down and talk with him. Right. Mississippi State knew that a hundred some odd people were going to ask him about his players beating on young girls, and and he just didn't have an answer. So I, I, I'm circuitous at this point, and we're, we could just sit and, and fixate fixate on this all day. I've just I've never seen this poor a job by a major sport, you know, athletic program, football or basketball going into a media event. This wasn't like he got caught by a a gaggle of reporters outside of his home getting into his car. He (laughs) knew what he was walking into and never raised his hands to fight. So it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, nothing outside of Hoover that I've seen that's even remotely interesting. Also, um, general lack of star power, not something that we really talk about on this show. God forbid I have to ever talk about the Heisman, um, uh, although, when I do media back to, about the Pac-12, I kind of like to rub it in their face that if they had been better about their championship game, then McCaffrey would have won the Heisman, because I still believe that. But, um, no one really of note, in Hoover, it's probably the least player-oriented media days I've ever seen. I mean, they just don't have superstars right now. They've graduated through a lot of guys, so...
1: Well, and the ones they do are either have not been, you know, exposed to microphones or uh, or they play positions that aren't as glamorous. Uh, Obviously, the quarterback Jason Kirk this morning um, in our Slack room showed us like his all SEC quarterback ballot. And we were like, holy crap, those are that's that's your choice. (laughs) Like Drew Locke from Missouri had a terrible freshman year last year and might be number three or four. Like that's. Uh, I mean, the quarterback position is getting a massive overhaul. And and part of that is because we don't know the new guys yet. And a couple of the new guys will be awesome. So we always kind of overblow the quarterback thing like a new guy can't be good. Like Alabama hasn't won uh, two national titles since, what, like 2011 with a new quarterback. Um, Yeah, this is probably the – you know, like the more I think about it, the league
0: just – they don't have any marketable names on the field. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, Shad. Oh no, no, no. They definitely will. I, let me. Yes, that's a very good. That's a very good. Yet, Bill. They always do. We did not know what Cam Newton was until right. halfway through that year. That's the one. I. That's the example I always use. But normally, you go to a media days and then there's like, oh, there's a Menzel, and then tomorrow we'll have a Clowney, and you know, we just didn't have that this year. So it makes makes that event extra stupid. Um, <laughs> not a ton in the way of topics. I've continued to come to the show empty handed. Although, by the way, I do have content coming up this week on Brad Paisley of all things. You know, that, that's what, that's <laughs> what the people in college football are talking about right now. Um, I'm just going to just, just click on it, okay? Just click on it. it I don't even want to try and explain it because then I give the story away. It was a weird thing. We laughed about it at, at work. I wrote about it. Um, I'm finally going to an event. In 24 hours, I'll be at the Pac-12 event, and then that will kick off a series of semi pseudo newsworthy things that i can bring to this program instead of just answering people's emails but
1: until then let's answer some people's emails we got some really good ones we got some really yeah. really good ones some of them week. are That's tough awesome. too um so let's how about we start with uh the most recent one our friend barry barry edmonstone edmonston i guess Um, PAP question for the weekend for media days ahead Does conference and divisional Parity help or hinder in the quest For playoff and quality Bowl bids my thinking high quality Parity has made the SEC West almost Impossible to get out of with at least one loss Parity also caused issues for the Big 12 And Pac-12 while divergence In quality doesn't seem to have Negatively impacted the Big 10 Or ACC from getting their teams into the Playoff especially when they are undefeated Or with a single loss Uh, Thoughts welcome so yeah, I mean it's basically uh, you know you, your reputation as a program uh, as a conference is assisted when you got a bunch of good teams like the SEC the you know the untouchable SEC West right now and the and the growing big uh, Big Ten East and Pac twelve North is in really good shape right now but no I mean it, that doesn't help that, that absolutely doesn't help with your playoff case um because we still we still value losses and if you lose like it, the best scenario is that you have a bunch of really good teams and one of them goes through uh with either 0 or 1 loss but that's that's the balance that's the risk where you've got a bunch of teams beating up on each other as everybody finishes with two losses and you're done i think that's definitely what happens with the Pac 12 this year um especially and and i mean i, I Nine game schedules are are you are viewer friendly, but it's stupid. It's so stupid to, to do that as a conference. And okay, for 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 a postseason perspective, For my money and television viewers perspective, it's great. But it's the worst thing you can do if you're trying to get a team in a playoff because now you've got to play ten conference games once you include the the conference title game. Just to, by uh,
0: the way, just to interrupt professor. Still waiting for that to come up at the end of a playoff selection where some conferences. They start tearing at each other, the membership over nine games, and whether yeah. or not, because, and it, because all those nine, all the nine game schedules, and no one will admit this, but every single one of them was spurred on by uh, television inventory. Right, exactly. So if you having an extra Maryland Wisconsin game ends up crapping on someone's national title, it'll be it'll be funny to see if the spurned party were to go back and point at the conference. Sorry, keep going.
1: Well, and, and that's you know what I've always said. I love my little bracket buster idea for that reason. Everybody does eight game eight game conference schedules, and then basically like you you'll play another big game, but it doesn't have to be a conference game, um, and, and it doesn't you know I just there are so many ways to play tough schedules without going to nine conference games, and and that's a, a source of frustration. But no, that's that is the balance. The more good teams, the better your conference will be received, uh, and the more likely it is that everybody loses two games and you're out.
0: Uh, this is why you're the co-host, Bill, and this is why you take these questions because I would have just looked at that email and gone, it's cyclical, and moved on. <laughs> well, Which it is. sort of is. Yeah. It sort of is. I know, be, look, man, maybe we just, it'd be nice for the bottom to fall out of the SEC West just so people, you know, no, and no offense to anybody who asked that question, it's just that, you know, it, things will change. Something will happen. One day a competent program will emerge from the Southeastern Conference's East Division.
1: But, I mean, at the same time, there will always be super tough conferences and super tough divisions, even if the names change.
0: That's true. Um, Michael Printy Arthur asked a question. Um, so Michael's question is going to encompass a, a couple of people's emails about this. Um, we make jokes and create memes um, because we're paid to do it, but we also, like, I see genuine, th- th- like, I guess, ongoing threads um, occurring in our email, and one of them is South Carolina. Um, so all jokes about Champ aside, um, and, and if you need those, I can recommend a few colleagues. Um, Bill and Steven, I love the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Don't et cetera compliment. Just play it out. Um, I had a question about South Carolina's expectations, not this year specifically, but over the next era of the program. Three straight 11-win seasons spoiled my fellow Cox to no end, as evidenced by the feelings in 14 where the offense was incredibly criticized despite putting up far more points than it did in 2011 through 13. It didn't help that many of our wins over our 33-game streak looked like, uh, looked like regardless of how we played or the deficit we took in a halftime, we'd find a way to win. Back to the question. To me, the goal is an SEC title. Even when operating at 11 wins, we at best feel on par with UGA, UF, and UT. Wow. And the team that won two East
1: Division titles in that span. <coughs>
0: Holla. I never see us operating at a, ho- a higher level than those schools on a consistent basis. And then he writes this in all caps. Tell me if I'm wrong, but here's what success looks like to me as measured over 10 years. Bowl eligible all 10 years. Top 25 finish at least 8 of those 10. 500 or better combined against UGA, UT, and UF. Um, I.e., okay, if 6-4 and four versus UF, but four and say, okay, we're uh, 500 or better against Clemson. Competitive in the East race in November more often than not. This isn't to say that I don't think we can win the East. It's that the above constitutes what I think should be a, what the base should be for Carolina's success. Perhaps I'm selling the program short, but I'm a product of the pre-spurrier pessimistic fan base. P.S. I greatly enjoy the podcast insight into the Texas fan base, and we'd be very interested to see (laughs) y'all's take on USC's fan media to understand why we are viewed outside our own message boards and booster meetings. All right. Let's start with the postscript. I'll throw it to Bill for the the numbers. Michael, you may be one of the most level-headed fans of a fair-to-midland program in a power conference I've ever met. Um, And I know... You, I know these people exist because I went to college with five or six incredibly intelligent Ole Miss fans during the Cutcliffe era and the O'Zron era and, and, and the Freeze era where they know what they are at the end of the day and they, they they know they may be on a high or a low end at the moment but they sort of know what they are and that's, that's always sounds resigned but it's a great it, it's it's a rational smart way to look at your program you know who how far can you how how far can you grow what can you do South Carolina is fascinating. Um this this spurger thing probably wrecked a lot of a lot of fan psychology. And eww, I, I'm not gonna try and jump at these numbers, Bill, I'm gonna let you do this. There will be regression to the mean. It, it will take time. I think this is the perfect storm in terms of psychology and the fan base because they're taking on a retread, a slightly used, you know, busted up Cadillac that was maybe hit in an intersection in Will Muschamp, a real big dumb Cadillac. Muschamp on paper was the most coveted – I mean, he was Tom Herman five years ago, right? So this is – yeah, yeah, five, six years ago. Um, He didn't forget how to coach. There were a lot of circumstances at Florida. If anything, you're getting laughed at right now, but you'd much – look, you would much rather have the Will Muschamp coming in post-Florida than pre-Florida. You want him to have that Florida failure as an experience. You want him to say something like, hey, I know what I want to do offensively. I want to hire Kurt Roper. We're going to do it the first time out. I think we said this last week. Yep. Uh, psychologically, it's very hard. I get it. Your cross-state rival almost won a national title who you were always second fiddle to until you ripped off, what, six in a row? And the, and, and even to this day in most of the parts of South Carolina, South Carolina is not thought of as historically as good or, or as meaningful or as important as Clemson. So, this, and, and on top of this, you were the afterthought addition so the SEC could get Arkansas. You languished, you didn't really know who you were in, in the conference. Then you took on Spurrier, and all that changed overnight. So, it's a little bit of system shock culturally. Um, Bill, go ahead, rescue me from the numbers here, because I could sort of dwell and meander around South Carolina's psychology for days. It's still, well, I, think, I, I think the biggest thing is this, I think, I think it's, a, it, it's TBD. It takes decades to define your identity in a
1: conference. Well, the thing about Spurrier is it didn't change overnight. Like Lou Holtz's last three years, they were five and seven, five and seven, six and five. Spurrier's first five years, they were seven and five, eight and five, six and six, seven and six, seven and six. Like I think at that point, around oh eight oh nine, you're thinking, "Wow, maybe this is our ceiling. Maybe we really have to be happy with seven, eight wins because that's all that we seem to be able to do." And then they went nine and 11 and two, eleven and two, eleven and two. Um, and yeah, I mean that changed and it didn't like Spurrier wasn't signing top five recruiting classes in that time. It was basically, you know, his ability to, to coax the most out of this and that, uh, combined with certain star recruits, um, among other things it seemed maintainable. Uh, that's all that, that makes it almost scarier when it wasn't maintained. Like, um, you know, that, that seemed like a very, like easy to follow recipe and and it produced obviously really good results um now as far as the expectations go um walking through those bowl eligible all 10 years i would absolutely um, yeah fine. account well i would account for a mulligan somewhere in there so i'd say i'd say eight to nine um top 25 finish at least eight to ten years uh, Jeez, six, wow six, six to six to seven I'll, yeah. I'll tamp these down a little bit um, i'm gonna go five out of ten okay uh, 500 or better combined against UGA, Tennessee, and Florida. You should be able to get relatively close to that because half of those games are going to be at home. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that's a decent – that would be a tough goal, but it's certainly not an unattainable one. And then same thing with Clemson. Like, be better than them at home and stay just close enough to them where you can knock them off at home and maybe you only win four out of ten or something. This is like. why
0: Michael is so fascinating to me. He's talking about being 500 or better against Clemson. You just rolled off six in a row before they yeah. got – Deshaun Watson level good uh by the way I'd say on 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 the Georgia Tennessee Florida thing uh 500 or better it sounds like you're being a little audacious as a South Carolina fan maybe but then when was the last time for a two or three year run that Georgia Tennessee and Florida were all all good good you know right exactly um they rotated for years but I mean I think the gap is closed between those three schools and the rest of the conference or the rest of the division obviously then you add Missouri (laughs) they win the division twice um by the way, when I said overnight, I meant more expectation level. It only takes it, – it, I think it's it's more than one double-digit win season when you haven't had them. But when you have like two and three years, that's when the stupid creeps in. <laughs> yeah. I think that's when you throw – and that's what I meant by overnight is when you have two 10-11 win seasons in three years, that's when you look at, oh, well, look at these past 60 years. Okay, don't worry about that. We're a new thing forever from, from yep. here on out. And, and you you really lose a lot of the math. You should probably hang on to in terms of figuring out who you are. Um,
1: yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fan thing everywhere, and it's probably yeah. It's, yeah. It's, oh, by the way, has
0: nothing to do with South Carolina.
1: Yeah, it's so easy to understand how that happens. I think back like. My first two years in Missouri, they had been in uh in like a thirteen year bull drought. They go seven and five and eight and four, and I'm and you know, that's the only thing I've experienced is seven and five and eight and four. I'm thinking, well, it, the drought's over. We're 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 good from now on. And then if you were a freshman at Missouri in oh seven, you see a national title run in twelve and two, you see ten and four, uh, then what, eight and five and ten and three beating the number one team OU in twenty ten. Um that's your reality if you're a freshman in 07, That's what you—that's th- what you think Missouri football is, um, which makes you know going five and seven in 2012 and 2015 like like you're, you're absolutely baffling. And so, um, yeah, that was Briles' math that we would talk about every right. the last two or three years at Big Twelve.
0: He would he would talk about how look, high schoolers don't think Baylor's anything other than good. So South Carolina enjoys a similar situation. I know they had one bad year, but. I'll leave it at this. If you're a South Carolina fan, tell me why you can't do what Clemson did. And everyone's going to tell, oh, the well, schedule in the SEC is too hard. Okay, all right, that's fine, that's fine. I get that part. And you may be right. You know, maybe maybe Clemson's, maybe Clemson's season looks uh, uh, one or two more losses heavier last year if they're in the, in the Southeastern Conference. That's fine. But tell me why you can't build that defense and tell me why you can't recruit that offense. Right,
1: right. That's why I always try to, when I was talking about Maryland, I got it like, I got scolded on Twitter because I mentioned that he could build a pretty good program there and everybody's like, well, not in that division. Right. No, no, that's not, you can still build a good program. That doesn't mean you're going to win that division, but you can still be a top 30 team. You would just be among other top 30 teams and therefore not going 12 and 0. But there's the difference. There's building up your team and then there's competing in whatever, wherever you are. You can always build up your team. So if you're South Carolina, yes, some of your 11 win seasons might have been conference championships in the
0: ACC. Okay, no doubt. And Clemson's national title run may have been hindered had they been in the SEC last year. But would you switch positions? Because at South Carolina, almost every year other than, like, the last 16 months, you get an advantage in recruiting against Clemson because you get to pitch to these kids, you're going to play against Georgia, you're going to play against Florida, da-da-da-da. I don't see why... I don't really mean to piss off Clemson fans. I love Clemson. But for years, I Bill, I was ignorant. I, I would tell South Carolina and Clemson fans, look, you're not going to be able to – you're not – it's too competitive on that side of the conference. Georgia's going to come in and eat you up and in recruiting, and you're never going to be able to field a defense that's strong enough to, to go to a national championship. But my God, what Venables has done with that defense and the kids yeah. they've recruited, yeah, I stand completely corrected. So South Carolina is just – not an overnight process by any stretch, but it, I, I suddenly feel like
1: stranger things have happened. So by the way, um, before we go to the next question, uh, Dave matter, the, the uh, Mizzou B writer for the post dispatch just shared a Saban quote from the transcript that say that say, this, is, it sounds like this came from us. This is like Saban channeling uh, SB nation and, and everybody else who's tired of SEC media days. Here's the quote, you know, I think that we all sort of stand up here and talk about you know, our team, and if the truth be, really be known, anything that I'm going to say about our team, because you have all seen spring practice, you, you know who's coming back, you know who graduated, you already have what the issues are relative to the challenges that we have to solve for our team. So I'm going to sit up here and very seriously talk about our team, and everything I'm going to say about our team, you've already written about. You've already written a story about it. Somebody in this room has already written a story about what I'm going to be talking about, but we're going to be very serious, and I'm going to be serious about talking about it again because that's the way we do things. God, that's amazing. <laughs> Are you, that's amazing. <laughs> that's fantastic. You know, but we're going to do it anyway, we, we're, and we're going to make it four days instead of like two. It doesn't have to be four days.
0: Sometimes we're active prosecutors of what Alabama is. For for a for a variety of different reasons, some good, some personal, some whatever, and and that comes when you're the biggest and best program in in, in a sport. But uh, he is he has these flashes and these moments (laughs) where he can step outside in these existential moments because he is at the highest perch and say something that no one else can that's smarter than what in in a way that no one else could. It's just it's absolutely fascinating to me. See, I, I just think sometimes Alabama is his. It's his personal hell. The most successful and consistent he's ever been is also his punishment, is to, it's to do it at Alabama. I still yeah. believe that.
1: Well, yeah, because then he has to go up there, and, and it, you know that quote reveals just how much he hates it, even though if he says it semi, well, his version of politely. Um, but then you see, like, even Feinbaum was complaining earlier about the ridiculously soft questions he was getting. But he had to stand up there and take them seriously because that's what he has to do. And, yeah, he, you know, like, the, the criticism drives him crazy, uh, and then the adulation drives him crazy. Wow. Oh, well. I don't feel too bad for him. I think he's I think No, he's right, you yeah. know what?
0: For, I guess that's as close to breaking news as we get recording a podcast. But <laughs> also, I mean, it's, it's not often that we – hey, Roll Tide, man. That's a genuine Roll Tide. I don't do those ever. Um, okay, man, that was a lot of South Carolina, but it just, it just continues to fascinate me. Also, we get a lot of we get a lot of South Carolina questions.
1: We this is our niche. This is we don't get a lot of Alabama questions. We got we, we're the podcast that covers everybody else.
0: Also, Love look, it. stop Love worrying it. about start, stop worrying about the optics on Must Champ. Okay, he's not the not the first fired coach to get a job in a, in the same conference.
1: Yeah, no. As soon as you play a game, the optics are done. So you just have to survive the off season. Do you have the next one? Uh, Our friend Nicholas uh, asks about booster culture um, and other things. All right. Uh, Hi, guys. I have two questions and topics. Number one, boosters can have a large influence on how a team performs. For example, Phil Knight has had an immense impact on Oregon. However, sometimes a lot of boosters' influence can lead to instability. For instance, Stuart Mandel strongly hinted how pressure from boosters makes Auburn a hard job for coaches. I I agree. That's Um, an understatement. Uh, Can you discuss some of the better booster cultures at some of the mid majors at some mid majors or non blue blood power five teams and some of the booster cultures having too much influence now this is um, no I mean I think the Auburn thing is the good example uh, to use because you know I still like I'm fascinated by I, I get the impression that recruiting isn't based on need it's based on who's Alabama recruiting who are we supposed to be recruiting and then you look up and you have a roster of mismatched pieces. Um, I mean, Malzahn walked in the door and came up with some fascinating things to do with his 2013 team. And two years later, he had a, 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 a pocket passer running his option offense. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't want to like, what's his name? Sean White. Like Uh he's, 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 he's not a statue. I was talking about Wes Lunt today, rushing six times in the 12 games last year for Illinois. Uh, He's not that, but he's not meant he's not, he's not supposed to be running that offense. And, but yet that was who he had to choose from when his first guy uh, wasn't very good. So I, I do think, The Auburn, I think it just comes down to so much pressure. And unless you're saving and you're so good that you can get beyond it, um, you'd have to win, like, a few national titles, I think, to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, And then even when the next game you lose, it comes right back. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's absolutely – I don't know what a good example of um, a good culture would be. Uh, Kansas State, maybe. But um, – Well, just from the fact that they probably, only, well, maybe now they're a good they're
0: a good culture right now because the coach has. Well, the that's, that's what I mean. Like they, the yeah. coach,
1: the coach created that and won a lot to to the point where he was unquestionable. Hey, man,
0: Alabama boosters are, are are it's the best culture possible right now because exactly. they, they respect and fear the hell out of an all powerful king.
1: Right, and that's the, I think that's the only way you get to that point because I mean the more like we were saying the more winning spoils you and then. As soon as you stop winning, you think you have a better idea of what to do than the coach does. I've never in the history of college football seen a program succeed
0: where the boosters had more power than a coach. Think about it. Yeah, You you cannot show me an instance in which the boosters have more clout than the head coach and more power because what that means is if if there's one or one group or person or whatever that has more consolidated influence than the head coach itself it means the head coach has not earned that equity and they, if they haven't earned that equity it's because they haven't been winning enough games so you just, you don't see it oftentimes coaches can't do enough or build incrementally you know or for instance let's say you had a disproportionate expectation from South Carolina boosters this is the South Carolina show by the way um <laughs> if Muschamp comes in there and wins five this year, six let's say he goes incrementally five, six, seven win seasons, but is actually recruiting Lane Foundation, building in roads, fighting Dabo on in state recruiting, all that stuff. But if there's a if there's a power block that refuses to accept that success as acceptable, he'll never succeed. You have to boosters have to relinquish their power at a certain point and give it to the head coach in order to win. And they don't like to do that. They hate it.
1: I mean, this just goes back to the financial structure of the sport and that you have to have the booster. You have to have the boosters giving you money Um, because that's how it happens. Like you you, when you think about the the job of an athletic director, you know, a lot of that job is is well, part of it's raising money, which requires the boosters. And then the other part's making good hires. But it's in a lot of places, it's almost you can be prevented from making the hire you want to make. Uh, And then, yeah, you walk into the job, like Rich Rodriguez at at Michigan, walking into that job, ended up with Greg Robinson as his defensive coordinator. That probably wasn't his first choice. Um, And and it really, like, uh, it it gets really, really gross when you think about all the hands. It reminds me a lot of, um, (laughs) this is a... This is a dramatic uh, left turn here, but I wrote about Bayern yesterday. Uh, I put my soccer hat on for a little bit yesterday to write about Bayern Munich again, and it reminded me of the German club structure. So the thing about German uh, soccer, this is why you listen to the podcast too, is random German soccer talk. So they, they're they very proud of the, what they call the 50 plus one model, where um, at most basically Corporate interests can only own half the club, and the and the, the club owns the other half of the club. Individuals, you know, club members, the people, so to speak, and so that gives you the, the 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 community more um uh, more of a partnership with the club, um and, and it's seen as a very healthy thing. You can't be like you can't like uh, the 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 family that bought Chelsea or Manchester City. You can't just walk in, spend billions of dollars, and run everything. Uh, It doesn't work that way. There there are the structures in place. And and it's great, and it's very popular. They're proud of it. It's it's very well regarded. But there are clubs like um, Hamburg, which have a humongous fan base and lots of rich people uh, associated with the club and this huge uh, power structure and this huge power struggle because every single one of those 49% or 50% uh, individual owners, so to speak, uh, argue amongst each other and sabotage each other and think they know what's best. Uh, and, and, uh, the, the political struggle at that club is ridiculous. Like they hired, they made a big deal about hiring an analytics guy a few years ago. He was gone within eight months. Cause he's like, I can't do anything. I can't do, there's nothing I can do here, uh, in terms of bringing influence to this club because there, there's so much, there are so many factions and everything else. And it reminded me very much of, of, Boosters, like you can have a plan, you can lay out a perfect plan, and you still might not be able to implement it because of all the other in- influences. Which is why,
0: come October, November, December, when coaches put out feelers and try and figure out programs, it has a hell of a lot more to do with finances and culture than it does with a depth chart. That's why I always laugh when people this <laughs> uh, I, 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 certain coaching searches in the last couple of years. The media has been really, really wrong on when they say, "Well." You know, Coach X saw that program and said, "God, they lost too much. That's going to be too big of a jump. Right. That's yeah. not it. That's that, that's you're looking at the tip of an iceberg that wrecks a ship. You're not looking at the the mountain underneath the water that caused the problem in the first place. So it has it, this kind of stuff has no real light ever shined on it because it's very hard to talk. It's you, you can't really qualify or quantify it. You try to, and you talk about donations and." You know, ticket sales and do people care and that kind of stuff but it's I don't think that's the right way to measure it because if anything there are certain jobs where Auburn is the one that always jumps to mind although I don't know if that's entirely fair anymore but the over attention, the over investment the amount of the crowded booster culture and the emphasis put on winning is ultimately going to be poisonous we'll see, maybe Auburn will have a coach for 15 straight years that wins three national titles but I doubt it Um,
1: all right, uh, to Nicholas's point, did we even finish the question? Oh, there was a second part about, like, a similar question about athletic directors. So
0: he asked So he asked this. Regarding ADs, I think USC just committed seppuku by hiring Lynn Swan as, <laughs> as a trophy wife AD. Damn. We've seen how no athletic director experience can take a program to the moon, <laughs> to the moon, like Dave Brandon and Steve Patterson. Jim Hackett was brought brought on in an emergency, so we're not counting him. On a more positive note, a good AD can make good hires. Can you guys discuss a few mid-majors or non-blue-blood P5 teams that have great ADs and great athletic departments?
1: Very transitive
0: here. Um, Great ADs at mid-majors and great ADs at non-power situations are moving faster than ever. Um, So I I don't have enough of a Rolodex on athletic directors and also that may compromise a little bit of what I do to give certain people Um, shout-outs. But how about I do this? How about I say... If your if AD right now is under 50 and has a fundraising background, you're in as good a situation as you can ask for. It's very generic, I know. Um, for years, Bill, people looked for alumni, and they looked for people who had experience in the state or yeah. the region, and that has been completely done away with. Now, Lynn Swan. Uh, yeah, oh, I was going to say, not everywhere, not everywhere. Trophy Wives is a pretty good explanation there. Uh, People forget USC is a private school. People forget that it's been insane in in and around that program at Heritage Hall for years. Carroll just bent that insanity to his will. He was able to manage it, and he was able to exploit it. Um, Yeah, Lynn Swan's a questionable hire in a very diplomatic way. I can say that. But it's not all that surprising. You know, I just I, I never saw them going out and evaluating an objective list of like. I was at Arizona, talking to Greg Byrne when they were still making speculation, or when, when they were not Arizona when when the 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 Pac-12 media, the LA media, still had speculation on who the next athletic director would be. Byrne's name came up because he's very much a rising star in the athletic director community. I guess you could say. Sure. And after the fact, you, you know, we're informed that. Outsiders had no shot at that job. USC wanted someone inside that family, inside that super weird family, which you could kind of say the same thing about the whole Clay Helton hire, right? Yeah. I mean, they don't really like to – I mean, my gosh, just look at their coaches. You know, the, if you don't know the administrators by name or the history of, the, of USC, just look at how they've gone about trying to replicate Pete Carroll's success with a ton of his assistants. They've never looked for the best – I know really good head coaches right now that wanted that USC job at different points between Kiffin and oh, – I'm sorry, between Carroll and Kiffin and specifically between Kiffin and Sark. More, more between Kiffin and Sark where that job was open and the, the pool of available talent was stronger than what Sark gave you. Now, no one knew what would happen with him in terms of his, you know, his issues, but that's just how USC wants to function. I, I mean, maybe this feeds into why I get so angry, Bill, about the USC thing every year is they don't, they don't really manage themselves or run themselves like a power program does in any other part of the U.S. Maybe there's a weird connection between USC and Miami and, and just how close those cultures got for a while. Yeah. Miami's changed a lot. Um, the Rick Tire was dead on, even though he's an alumnus. Um, I would like to see USC get a little more progressive in certain areas. Or not. I don't really care. Or be 7 and 5.
1: Yeah, I did. I, my, uh, my friend Simon, a guy who's done study hall stuff um, over the last couple of years, he yeah. runs a, a USC podcast. I went on that last week. And it reinforced what I when I went to L.A. in October. It reinforced what I heard then, which was, no, open the umbrella. Look outside of this universe for good. And, and it's, it is mind-blowing when you have such a clear example with Carol. Of a uh, the last great the only great the only great hire you've made in thirty years had no ties to USC whatsoever, Um, but they still they still do it and it holds them back. All right, Uh, we need to get to Box where I have one quick question that I want to answer just because I don't want to lose it. Uh, Our friend Robert Baker, uh, good question, good friend, our good friend Robert Baker, I should say. Um, I had a quick question about. Uh, my metrics actually uh, I'd love to know how coaches use advanced metrics specifically at Plus or SP, and p which uh, thank you for assuming that coaches use those uh, to tell their players they're not playing at the level their record says specifically any coaches that have said things like well we're 3 and 4 but we're playing a hell of a lot better than that one or two breaks and we're 5 and 2 we can beat the number 3 team uh, also how many players on their teams are savvy to advanced metrics um, number, the, to answer the second question first none um, I I mean, I have some, I'm sure if I, if I checked my Twitter follower list, there would be some current players on there. And, and I'm sure I'm, that, you know, there, there, maybe there are a few that are, are curious what I would have to say about the team, but I mean, nobody's looking, Hey, we're number three this week in F plus, uh, I will say specifically, this is how, this is one thing I absolutely know coaches do. Um, At least I, I know for a fact, a couple have, and I assume maybe there are a couple more, they're not going to tell their players, Hey, we're a heck of a lot better than three and four. They're going to, you know, that, I, I, I mean, they could, but I don't think that would be very effective. What they're going to do is, if they went five and seven last year, but they ranked like, but they improved and ranked like, you know, forty second in my rankings, as opposed to being five and seven and like 68 eighth, they're absolutely going to use that in recruiting information, uh, saying we're a rising program. The results haven't caught there yet, caught up yet, but we're we're getting there, as proved by this random measure that I learned about yesterday. You know, there's going to be. Um, that's, that's where this number gets used, the overall numbers. But, I mean, that's really, if you're a coach, that's the only way you can use them. I, you know, the advanced stats that I use, like I always think about them in terms of how a coach could use this or that. The situational stuff, the, the super nitty-gritty stuff could be used, I think, by coaches in a lot of ways uh, and a lot of analysis once you get down to that level. But the overall, we're number 32 or whatever. There's just, I mean, other than recruiting, I don't think there's any way you can use that. Bill? I'm ready. Blind box score bingo. Uh, For those of you who never listened before, welcome to the ass
0: end of a uh, (laughs) podcast. For some reason you've made it this far. Blind box score bingo every week. Uh, One of you fine listeners sends me, just me, don't send it to Bill, a box score with the information, all the proper nouns, all the team names scrubbed off. We give it to Bill, pop quiz style. Bill recreates the game as best he can. Um, this is a fun exploration of stats. It's also a way to figure out why box scores are good and bad. All right. If you have a blind box score bingo submission, email it to me. Take the names off. Um, we generally ask for you to do the last two or three seasons, just for topicality's sake. Also, things get weird when you go further back. Bill, are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. I want to tell you right now. There's colors. I know you hate colors. I'm going to tell you this. This is a
1: very Seahawks-colored box score This is like
0: Dave Craig-era Seahawks-colored box score. (laughs) Um, The colors mean nothing, okay? There's a blue team and a green team. The blue team had 18 first downs. The green team had 21. The blue team was 3 of 11 on third down. The green team was 8 of 17. Neither team went forward on fourth. The blue team had 385 total yards, 273 passing. They were 19 of 35, 7.8 yards per pass, one interception thrown. The green team, 424 total yards, 120 of those were passing. That's a big jump there, interesting little stat. 10 of 17, passing 7.1 yards per pass, no interceptions thrown. The green team... A lot of rushing yards, obviously, 304 yards, 63 attempts. That puts it at 4.8 yards a carry. The blue team only had 112 rushing yards, 26 attempts, so that's 4.3 yards a clip. Uh, The blue team was penalized nine times for 55 yards. The green team was penalized only three times for 28. Each team had one turnover, the interception thrown by the blue team, the fumble by the green team. Um, Time of possession. 22 minutes, 53 seconds for the blue team, 37 minutes, 7 seconds. Obviously very predictable for the green team since they ran the ball so much.
1: Bill, what happened in this game? Um, I think after a while we, we start to see themes developing with these, um, especially when you look at things like the total number of plays, the, the run-pass ratio, the um, time of possession um obviously you i mean you can start to to fit this into a certain box the the green team um sixty three rushes to seventeen passes they weren't they didn't pass very well so that doesn't it's not like they you know completed a, a couple of early bombs and then sat on the ball uh-huh. um but they clearly were trying to milk the crap out of the clock um and so the, you know among other things that suggests they either they they did have maybe they had a big lead and they weren't completely sure they were going to keep it. So they're stalling her pretty quickly, or maybe they're just a run heavy team. Um, But obviously this wasn't much of a hurry up situation. I don't think let's see. They had 80 snaps. uh, The other team had 61. Um, The blue team was better per play. What is that? Three eighty-five divided by 61 is 6.3 yards per play to 5.3 for the green team. So yeah, this was, This was that box of uh, one team probably got a lead, uh, ran the crap out of the clock, ran the ball. The other team was more explosive, had more penalties again. Um, uh, Let's see. The blue team was 3 for 11 on third downs as opposed to 8-17 for for green. So that means they were facing a lot more third and longs, which is kind of a consequence of passing more uh, and probably also being behind so that the opponent knows you're passing more. So I'm going to say that most likely the blue team was in some sort of comeback mode here. Um, and as always, my cop-out, special teams and finishing drives probably made the difference. Okay, but you did say that the blue team was in a comeback mode. Yes. I mean, I, I would say that's probably... It looks like they had more big, more big good big plays and more mm-hmm. self-inflicted bad plays. Um, and then the other team was a little steadier, didn't throw an intercept. I mean, the, the passing was, was pretty meh, but it wasn't bad. It was just kind of, you know, probably a side effect of the run game, I guess. So um, You ready? Sure. All right.
0: <clears throat> Dateline, December 6, 2014, Norman, Oklahoma. With one dynamic burst of speed, Tyreek uh, yeah. Hill saved Oklahoma State's season. With about a minute to play, the Cowboys trailing rival Oklahoma 35-28. Hill fielded, Hill fielded a punt at the Oklahoma State 8-yard line. The track sprinter cut towards the left sideline, beat two defenders, picked up the block, blah, 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 blah. They had buried the graph in this story. Um, so, Ben Grogan's 21-yard field goal completed the comeback, and Oklahoma State upset the 20th-ranked Sooners 38-35 on Saturday to become bowl eligible. Uh, this was sent in by Mark Johnson. Mark says... Uh, I think this is a fascinating test for Bill, as one team was heavily favored but was without its starting quarterback. Well, we didn't didn't know that. That's not in the box score. Consequently, the favorite employed a Goliath strategy by running the ball at a service academy level. This is true. If not for a devastating fumble-slash-injury by its bell cow running back late in the fourth, the strategy would have likely worked. If the game ultimately turned on a late special teams play and a missed field goal in overtime, enabling the underdog a chance to win a game in which their ESPN win probability was 1.1% in the final minute of regulation prior to this epic special teams play. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but PAPN is by far my favorite. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for all the good work you do, making college football even more fun to follow. Thanks for listening. Thank you for writing in, Mark. Kind of similar to the theme that we've established this summer, is that I think we're going to have to expand this deal and ask for some metrics involved with special teams?
1: Yeah, I mean or in drive finishing, yeah, I mean that's um, and I would almost actually he said it was a Goliath strategy. I would almost say it's a David strategy um, because, yeah, they came into that game knowing they had P Ryan, but they had a backup quarterback they didn't trust. Uh, let's see what was the score. I'm, I've just pulled it up. So they it was seven seven after one quarter. Um, it was they. They led, yeah, twenty eight fourteen at halftime. So they they got just enough offense, and then they just sat and hoped that the first half offense would be enough, and it almost was. Um, but they only scored one touchdown. Uh, in the second half, they tried to eat every bit of that clock up that they possibly could, and like you said, it probably would have worked had Pirine not gotten hurt. Um, but yeah, that that was a, a, a well. I mean, it was it was it was a game defined by. Sitting on the ball, hoping you it'll work, and then giving up that late, that amazing late man. I, I Tyreek Hill that week, that that single week, he went from one of the most popular players in college football to smacking his girlfriend. Like in a single week, he he went from uh, this uh, this hero to being kicked off the team. That was a, such a because I, among other reasons, it, it stunk to then talk about how amazing this game was because you had to mention his name. But um, I kind of forgot like, about that. This is a crazy game. Oh, yeah, okay, so in the second half, OU went fumble, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, 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 uh, overtime. They, they, they So they went, oh, and the, those punts were all three and out. So they lost a fumble at the state 29, then they went three and out, three and out, touchdown, three and out, three and out, three uh, and out, because they didn't trust Thomas to make a play.
0: By the way, Tyreek Hill uh, on the Chiefs roster. Yep. Fifth round and finished at West Alabama.
1: It's been uh, a very, um... Really,
0: Klonick just forgot all about
1: him. It's been a very, uh well predictable uh development of the plot there like when he was drafted everybody was outraged um because of the the what he committed uh but then like a month later it was like man this guy's fast
0: yeah
1: <laughs> and it was over
0: <laughs> as those situations are are yeah. want to go um all I- right Thanks, Mark. Um, we appreciate the submission again, guys. Uh, one quick thing, although this is—I thought this one—it's a very memorable game, Bedlam—and had a really cool disproportionate box score. They don't have to be close games. I feel like we're getting a lot of close games. So, again, you're either trying to show us something that's weird and unique—it's not best represented by the numbers, which is sort of stumping Bill—or you can just try and stump Bill straight up with something that's deceptive. But we got a lot of close games, I think, mainly because people remember those close games and wild right. finishes. Right. But if you want to try and stump, uh, if you want to try and stump, I was supposed to say us employing the editorial us <laughs> um, with a total blowout that looks somewhat similar when you get down to yardage and you know yards per play, pass per play. Go for it. Go for it. Um, By I the guess, way, when you want to keep this segment going, and I'm, so I'm trying
1: to preach as much versatility as possible. Uh, By the way, I I opened up a link while you were talking about athletic directors earlier, and then I forgot to go back to it. Terry Mohajer, Terry Mohajer, the guy at Arkansas State. um, He's been there since 2012. He had to hire like, he's already had to hire like three coaches. Uh, I have nothing, I know their basketball program stinks. I know nothing about the, the overall athletic department, but I know that the football program there has been a case study in, these, the administration supporting the program and building the program up, and then the, the head coach being almost secondary to that because they were changing so many times. That um, is the, that is a name
0: I would include on that list. And again, like I said, I just I didn't really feel I just still don't really feel comfortable rattling off a list because um, eventually I you know I don't want to show all the cards I have on the table to provide y'all with good news and decent rumors.
1: Right <laughs> that way. Well, but I've never died, met. Ter- I've never met Terry Mohajer. I have, I have no connection with him whatsoever, so I can feel free to then promote him. Uh, Bill, next week I'll come back, and uh, by this point in time, we may have to
0: move the date around, but we'll still get you a podcast, definitely. Um, well, no, we won't. Wednesday morning, yeah, I'll be done with the Big Twelve. I'll be done with the Pac-12. I'll have a ton of audio. Maybe we'll even splice some audio into this, Ooh, which means look at be us. sending, which means we'll be sending Bill the file and just hoping he does it. Um, or I just talk about what I learned. So I'll have two Power 5 media days under my belt by the time we talk about something next week, which means I'll have done something and provided something, and
1: we won't just have to stare at the ass end of the of the Big Ten team previews. You're um, really trying to set a record for the number of times the words ass end or have been mentioned on a podcast. Well, again, you wake you me up on the
0: West Coast this morning wanting to try
1: and pass off –
0: Pass off the the buttocks view. How's that of of a really less than interesting conference? Once you get past like three football teams. Um, all right, sir. As always, we thank everyone for their time. You can follow Bill on Twitter, uh, SBN underscore Bill C, myself on Twitter and Instagram at thirty eight Godfrey. I've just launched an Instagram specifically for work stuff, so you can follow me on that. Uh, please be sure to subscribe, review. Um, say wonderful things and whisper sweet nothings over at SoundCloud iTunes wherever you get your podcasts um, wherever they're sold in your city Bill do you want to come back and do this again next week?
1: I guess if you you think it's a good idea it's fine with me fine with me we'll see you next week oh and by the way the week after that I will be on the road and I will be in a hotel room so double hotel room? Uh, oh god that is going to be so terrible but yes we will do it (laughs)
0: Wow, that that show's going to sound great, so let's go ahead and apologize in advance. All right, we'll see you next week.
1: Yep.